about distinctions that matter. And by the way, Marge, thank you for picking out those songs. Marge picked out the songs for this Sunday, and they are always a blessing. If you would like to pick out the songs, just let Serenity know, and uh, we'll coordinate all that. And if you have a certain song in the hymnal that you would like to have uh, the congregation uh, sing, then see Serenity. Just give her uh, that, uh, that suggestion, that recommendation, and we'll make sure that, that we get them in there. Uh, so this morning, I want you to turn with me again to 2 Timothy 2, 15. We're going to continue with part three and hopefully the last part. I can't make any guarantees that we're going to get through uh, the sermon this morning, but we're sure going to try uh, to finish this uh, topic of rightly dividing the word of truth. This morning, I want us to look at distinctions that matter because in order to understand the word, uh, you must rightly divide it. The reason we rightly divide it, number one, is because the Bible tells us to do that. And number, uh, number two, we want to be able to understand it. 2 Timothy 2.15, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So in order for us to understand this precious book, understand what it is saying to us, what it is saying for us, we need to be able to uh, rightly rightly divide the Word of God. And when I talk about rightly dividing real quickly, we're basically talking about distinguishing between prophecy and mystery. Prophecy having to do with uh, relating to Israel and, and the establishment of the kingdom and Israel's earthly blessings that were promised uh, to her by God and the church, the body of Christ, uh, and our spiritual blessings uh, in the heavenlies and who we are as Jew and Gentile that makes up the, the body of Christ. Uh, in order to rightly divide, you have to make those distinctions and understand uh, the purpose and, and the Lord Jesus' message to uh, the 12 apostles and his earthly ministry uh, and that revelation that he gave to Paul concerning this present dispensation, making those distinctions. And folks, those distinctions matter in our relationship with Christ, in our walk with Christ, and how we even behave in this present, uh, present age, in this present time, the things that we, we want to apply. And what I want to do this morning in the time that we have, I want us to talk about some of those distinctions, and we're not going to get to all of them. There's just no way we would be going on and on and on uh, if we uh, with this study, and I'd like to get back to Colossians. So what I recommend is you come to Sunday school because Tim Hargrove is going through um, uh, this very type study in the Sunday school hour, and they're taking much more time, and, and I encourage you to come. If you want to delve into this deeper uh, the adult Sunday school class is the place to be. Right, Tim? Right. So uh, be, uh, be there uh, at 9.34 for the Sunday school time. Two of the most common questions that I receive as a pastor, and these two common questions are probably the, the most, uh, the questions I receive the most in my ministry down through the years are these two. Number one, I'll get a phone call or I'll see someone out on the street or in a restaurant or just come in contact with someone. 
they'll come up to me and they'll say, Oh, pastor, will, will you agree with me about such and such? Because the Bible says, we're two or more shall agree as touching anything on earth. It shall be done for them. And so they'll quote Matthew chapter 18. And we have to talk about exactly what that scripture, who that scripture is to. But I get that a lot. Will you agree with me? And I will agree with them that we're going to pray about that matter. And yes, I agree with you that we're going to pray about it. But us agreeing on it is not necessarily uh, makes, makes it a done deal. The other one I get a lot is why doesn't God answer my prayer? He said he would. And they'll quote John 14, 13 and 14, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will do it. Why does God not answer my prayer? Did God lie? Well, the Bible says that's something God can't do, is lie. That's, so did God lie? Or they'll say, is it my faith is so weak? My faith is so small that I don't even have the faith of a grain of mustard seed? Because Matthew 17, 20 says, if you have the faith of a grain of mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, mountain be moved, and it's going to be relocated. That's uh, what the Bible says. So maybe I'm not even saved. And so then we have to talk about that. Or maybe, and this is my question to them, after they said, did God lie? No, God didn't lie. Um, is, my, is my faith that small? No. Maybe, do you rightly divide the word? What do you mean by that? Ah, okay, that's where we start. Because, again, understanding what is for us, from Genesis to Revelation, and what is to us. What pertains to the church, the body of Christ, what authority do we have compared to the authority that the apostles had, that apostolic kingdom authority that they were to exercise in the promises to them. Because when you start trying to take that round peg and put it in a square hole, when you don't make those distinctions and understand what was to the apostles and what authority they had, why they, as we looked last week, John 20, 22, says that, that, that the apostles were going to be able to give sin. Whosoever sins you forgive, uh, 2021 20, and 22. Uh, whatever, whosoever sins you forgive, they're going to be forgiven. If you don't forgive their sins, their sins aren't going to be forgiven. Folks, that's authority. That's authority. That's apostolic authority. The 12 were to have that kind of authority in the kingdom of heaven on earth. Christ tells them in Matthew, 12, uh, Matthew 19 that they're going to sit on 12 thrones judging 12 tribes, the 12 tribes of Israel. You talk about authority, they're going to have that authority. So when the God's word says, where two of you are gathered in my name, uh, and you agree on earth is touching anything that's going to be done, well, that promise is not to the church, the body of Christ, period. Now, that doesn't mean we're not to pray. Absolutely, we're to pray. But you can't take that verse and say, I'm going to claim this verse. John chapter 14, where it says, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will do it. 
And then when it doesn't happen, what do you think that does to an individual's faith? They go, well, maybe my, maybe my faith is not that strong. Then they start doubting their salvation. Then they, well, they doubt God, and then they doubt their salvation. See, that's why it's important that you rightly divide the word of truth. Philippians chapter 4. Turn to Philippians chapter 4. I know last week we, we looked at this a little bit. But Philippians chapter 4, starting with verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, or be anxious for nothing. Don't worry about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And He will do it. Is that what it says? What it says and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Folks, that's the promise. That's the assurance that we have in this present dispensation. Are we to pray? Absolutely. Are we to take all of our supplications and our requests to God? Absolutely. And what you can say, Lord, I've got this burden. I've got this concern. I have this issue Lord, it is bothering me, you know, but I want to cast it on you. Father, I'm going to look to you not to dispense whatever I put into that machine and it push, the, push the answered prayer button, but Lord, I want you to give me that peace that passes understanding. And you know what God does? He gives you that peace that passes all understanding every time. There's that calmness, there's that assurance. We bring it to him, we're anxious for nothing. The apostles had that authority to whatever they asked the Father in Jesus' name. He did it whether it was healing, regardless of what it was. They had that promise. But by the time the apostle Paul, and for a short period of time, he had that as proof that he was the apostle to the Gentiles. But he left uh, Trophimus and Miletus sick, kind of showing that there was a change coming. He told Timothy to take a little wine for his stomach's sake. Why didn't he just heal him? Paul prayed three times for the, the, uh, the uh, problem that he had in the flesh. He was buffeted by a messenger of Satan, and he prayed three times, and the Lord did it. Or what did the Lord tell him? My grace is sufficient for you. See, so there is a change in the dispensation. There is a change in the, how God is dealing with, with saved individuals today. During the kingdom program, the apostles are going to have that authority. There, there are going to be signs and wonders. There is going to be things that take place as evidence. Today, uh, in this present dispensation, God is working through the church. God, in His grace and His mercy, He saves us, and it's by faith we trust Him. Yes, we bring those requests before Him, but He's not a big-time sugar daddy. We understand that, right? I'm going to phase not here, so I'm going to share. And it has nothing to do with me being her sugar daddy. I'm not taught that's that has nothing to do with that. And don't tell her I said that. Years ago, when she was a little girl, 
She's always had bad eyesight. And maybe she shared this with you before. She's always had bad eyesight. And she went to a church service, a healing service. Her mom and dad took her to a healing service, and, and there was a lot of stuff like that going on. And the preacher was preaching about faith, and if there's a problem you have, then you need to come forward, and you need to, uh, you need to get right with God, and you need to turn it over to God. And so Faye went forward, and she told the preacher that she had such bad eyesight, and the preacher basically said, well, you just sit, them, sit those glasses down, and you're going to be healed. She's a little girl, okay? She's little, and she's trusting, and she is just, I mean, she's old enough to know what she's doing, and so she sets the glasses down, and, and she prays, and the preacher prays with her, and a whole bunch of people down around the, uh, down the front, I'm not going to call it an altar, because folks, we don't have an altar, okay? But anyway, that's a whole other topic. Uh, so they went, they went down for her, and people were praying for her and, and laying hands on her, and they were praying and doing all sorts of things. And then she opened her eyes with great expectation. She was still as blind as a bat. She couldn't see. The preacher said, you just don't have enough faith. Go back and sit down. So leave your glasses here. Have faith. That little girl went back. You know, the church was over. Guess what she had to go find? her glasses. Now I'm going to tell you something. That was cruel. That was mean for that preacher to tell her that. Now I don't know why God did not answer that prayer. But let's go forward years and years and years. Well, she's not that old, so not that many years. We're right at Circle J Ranch. Been there for a while, and I got to been there for a while, and I got to tell you, that was one of the hardest ministries that we've ever been part of. It was difficult. It was it. Faye was pretty much at her wit's end, and it takes a lot to get her to her wit's end. And that morning, we'd gotten all the kids up, and my sister and brother-in-law were there, and, and they helped, and, and uh, the, the, we had that licensed group home. And, and it, to me, it, it was the ministry that I thought God was calling us to, and I was sure of that. And, uh, but it was difficult. It was extremely difficult. And we got the girls up and got them all out, and they were at school, and, and uh, Faye was there alone. And she was at the, at the kitchen window, and she was washing all the dishes, and with te- just, she was give out. She was worn out. And tears were rolling down her cheek, and she was washing the dishes. And she remembered when, back at times past, she loves butterflies. She just loves butterflies. And she, she remembered a time when there was a bunch of butterflies where we lived, and she said, Lord, if, I just want to see a butterfly. If we're where we're supposed to be, I just want to see a butterfly. Show me. I know you can't. And then she, then she felt bad because she said, Father, I'm sorry. We're dispensationalists. We're not, we're not supposed to pray like this. She literally said that. We're not, we're not supposed to pray like that. And she opened her eyes and a butterfly flew by. And before long, another one flew by. And before long, another one. Before long, that whole backyard filled up with butterflies. I'm sure it was just a coincidence that they were migrating or not. Now, 
God answered that prayer. And I think it has absolutely everything to do with his will and his purpose and what he wants us to learn and how he wants us to trust him. And it has nothing to do with what we want, but everything to do with what we need. And he knows. He knows. So we can trust him through all of these times. Yes, God answers prayer. Sometimes that answer is no. Sometimes it's no. But in this present dispensation, as we rightly divide the word of truth, we understand that our prayer commands and demands are different than what the apostolic authority had and will have during the kingdom. You've got to rightly divide the word to understand that. It has nothing to do with your faith. I mean, you've got to have faith, that's true. But it, 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 it has to do with God's will and purpose and what he wants you to learn. It's where he's put you in the body of Christ. It's what he wants you to do in the body of Christ and how he molds and directs and guides you. And he is faithful, faithful to do that. So whatever you're going through, know that your God cares and he loves you and he is molding and shaping you to be everything he desires for you to be. Aren't you glad of that? I know I am. Besides, if he had had good eyes, she might have uh, missed me altogether or looked at him and gone, oh, whew. I think it has to do with her being blind in part that I was able to corral her. But see, not only do we rightly divide when it comes to prayer and what our prayer authority is today, uh, when we meet, when, when we meet is important. Uh, under the law, they met on the Sabbath. Do we meet on the Sabbath? Absolutely not. That's sundown Friday, sundown Saturday. We meet on the first day of the week. Scripture after Scripture talks about, about that truth. Paul tells the church in Galatia, he wants to know who's bewitched them. Part of the thing they were doing is they were putting themselves back under the law, and they were observing days and feasts and, and all sorts of things connected with the law, and he's wanting to know who's bewitched you. Have I labored so intensely in your lives, and here's, here's what you're going back to? Uh, not under the law, but under grace. And that is such a major distinction that we have in this present dispensation, that we're not under the law, but we are under, under grace. When it comes to tithing, that was part of the law. And, a, and another distinction, just so you'd under, I mean, and there's so many, but I'm trying to think of some that, that you can relate to and some that, that really just jump out at you. Uh, people talk about tithing, and tithing was a 10% that they gave to the temple and, and the support of the tribe of Levi, and, and temple, uh, or tithing was required, and Malachi 310, uh, it talks about God saying, if you know, you give, and I'm open up the storehouses and I'm going to pour out but if you, you if you're not tithing you're stealing from God you're stealing from God 
Now, under the law, if, if you didn't tithe, and tithe with how much? 10%. They knew to give 10%. You will never, ever get your, give you 10%. Give you 10%. Where's your 10%? Uh, you'll never hear me preach on tithing. I'll preach that we need to give, and I'll preach what our marching orders are in this present dispensation when it comes to giving. And, and such a, uh, an important aspect of not being under the law. Look at 2 Corinthians. Just to show you how, how important it is that we rightly divide the word. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Verse 6. 2 Corinthians 9 verse 6. But this I say, he which sows sparingly shall reap also sparingly. And he which sows bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man according as he purposes in his heart. Wow. So let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. That's how God wants us to give. Not grudgingly, not, not out of necessity. Was keeping the law necessary? <laughs> absolutely. It was absolutely necessary. And the gospel of the circumcision, that truth, that good news with the Jews concerning a kingdom coming and a Messiah ruling and the law, uh, God is going to put his law in their inward parts and he's going to cause them to walk in his law. All of that was necessary. But here in this present dispensation, and I'm not saying that so you can go, good, I want to sit on my wallet. Hey, under the law, under law, under the bondage of the law, if, you give 10, if you're required to give 10%, how much more should you willingly be able to, or willing to give under, under grace? And you need to understand, you're, you're responsible for God for 100%. He owns 100% of what I have, not just 10%. He owns it all, and I'm responsible for how I use that for his glory, how you use that for his glory. So we're not under the law. We're under grace. And one of the things that just jumps out is, is the, the aspect of giving and offerings and, and tithing. A, another difference that shows you that why it's important to rightly divide the word of truth has to do with circumcision circumcision in the nation of Israel. As a matter of fact, under the kingdom program, it was referred to as the good news of circumcision, the gospel of circumcision. Circumcision was that which identified Israel, the Jews, to Israel, and well, to that covenant relationship that they had with God. Look at Genesis 17. When it was enacted, Genesis 17, uh, let's start with, verse, start with verse 7, and I will establish my covenant between me and thee, this is talking to Abram, And thy seed after thee in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. 
Verse 11. He's going to establish a covenant. And you shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a token of the covenant between me and you. So that circumcision, that cutting away of the foreskin, was ordained of God, was a token, was a sign of that covenant relationship that God had with the nation of Israel. Verse 12, And he that is eight days old shall be circumcised among you every man child. Look at verse 14. And the uncircumcised man child, whose flesh of his foreskin is not circumcised, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. He hath broken my covenant. So would we agree the circumcision was important under the Abrahamic covenant? And under the covenant that Moses, as a matter of fact, God told Moses he was going to kill him until, until Moses did what? Circumcised his son. God basically said, I'm going to take you out, man, if you don't, you got to get your son circumcised. You got to set the example. And so, you know, we, circumcision under the law was an absolute necessity. Circumcision identified Israel with Jehovah and that covenant relationship that they had. It was such an important, an important aspect of their relationship with God. Matter of fact, it was so important. Look at Galatians. Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2. So with verse 7. I mean, there's, there's so much to this, but we'll just start with verse 7. But contrarywise, when they, they being uh, Peter and James and John, and the apostles that Paul went down to Jerusalem to tell them to stop sending people up to Antioch and telling them that they had to do what? Obey the law, law of Moses and be circumcised. Just cut it out. And so he goes down to Jerusalem to confront them, to tell them, you, you don't mess with the gospel that God has given me. Don't mess with the truth of the mystery that God has given me. But contrarywise, when they saw that the gospel of the uncircumcision, who would be the uncircumcision? The Gentiles. The good news of the Gentiles was committed unto me as the gospel of the circumcision was unto Peter. For he that wrought effectively in Peter to the apostleship of the circumcision, or to the Jews, the same was mighty in me toward the Gentiles. And when James and Peter and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave to me and Barnabas the right hands of fellowship that we should preach unto the Gentiles and they unto the circumcision. But see, a title for his ministry, the gospel of the circumcision, not take the gospel to prepositions matter and it really matters here the gospel of the circumcision Peter you take that to the nation of Israel Peter and James and John where Paul was going to take the gospel of 
the uncircumcision, that's the gospel of the grace of God, that's what we preach, that's what we proclaim today to, to the Gentiles. So was, that, was the gospel of the circumcision important? Look at, look at Acts 21. Acts 21. And even, I wish we had more time to talk even on this one, but Acts 21. Paul has been saved on the road to Damascus. He has already written the book of Galatians. He's written the book uh, of Romans, uh, First and Second Corinthians. Uh, I think Second at this time. Anyway, I had to go back and check. So Paul is—he's gone to Jerusalem. He's taken a whole bunch of money that he's collected from the Gentile churches to. Jerusalem to give to the poor saints there and the reason that they don't have any money is because they did exactly what God commanded them to do at the early part of Acts and was to sell everything they have and give it to the poor and have everything in common and take no thought of what they're going to eat take no thought of what they're going to wear take no thought of where they're going to live your father knows you have need of these during the kingdom that's all part of the, pro the program but the kingdom didn't start because there was something hid in God. So what does Paul and the churches do? They take this offering down to give to those poor saints in Jerusalem. So Paul goes down there to do that. Look at Acts 21. Let's start with verse 17. Acts 21, 17. And when we were come to Jerusalem, the brother received us gladly. And the day following, Paul went with us unto James... And all the elders were present. And when he had saluted them, he declared particularly what things God had wrought among the Gentiles by his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified the Lord. And they said unto him, Thou seest, brother, how many thousands of Jews are which believe, and they are all zealous of the law. They're all zealous of the law. They were under a different program. They were to be zealous of the law at this point. That was part of the gospel of circumcision. And so James was telling Paul, this, this, look, they're all zealous of the law. Verse 21, and they are informed of thee. They, they've heard about you, Paul. They've heard about you. That you teach all the Jews which are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses saying that they ought not to circumcise their children, need to, neither to walk after the customs. Well, you know what? That's exactly what he had told them. That's exactly what he had said. James says, but let's, see, let's, let's do this. Let's show all the people that's, that that's really nonsense. Here's what we want you to do. And then the story goes on to what Paul almost did. But you see, at this time, James was still doing what James said he was going to do. He was going to take the gospel of the circumcision, the good news of the circumcision, which had to do with an earthly kingdom and the nation of Israel's blessings on earth with a Messiah. All that During that transition period, that was still active. But Paul was going to the Gentiles, telling them of the good news of the gospel of the grace of God. All of that was unfolding, and every place Paul went, he went to the synagogues first, and he would say, in Antioch, your Messiah has come, Jews. 
And what would they do? Reject. And what would Paul say? Will not blow. Ha- uh, I turn to the Gentiles. Then they go to Corinth. Paul goes to the synagogue, and he tells them, "Hey, you." And what do they? What, what do they do? They reject. What does Paul say? Lo, I turn to the Gentiles. Goes all the way to Rome. And he calls in the Jews, because he's in jail now. He can't go to the synagogue. But they come to him, and he tells them, your Messiah has come. And they go, meh. They reject. What does he say? Lo, I turn to the Gentiles, and they will hear it. And it was after that the temple's destroyed, and that gospel of the circumcision comes to a screeching halt as the gospel of the grace of God uh, goes out. I mean, there's so much more uh, on that, but, but whether it be tithing, whether it be circumcision, as a matter of fact, they said, you, you teach that, that they're not supposed to teach, uh, circumcise their, their children. 1 Corinthians 7. Look at 1 Corinthians 7. And all of this is just to show you we've got to rightly divide the word in order to understand the word of God. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 19. Circumcision is nothing. And uncircumcision is nothing. But the keeping of the commandments of God, I've got to tell you, according to Leviticus 17, circumcision was something. According to the Abrahamic covenant and the Mosaic covenant, circumcision was something. Look at Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, verse 6. For in Jesus Christ, neither circumcision avails anything nor uncircumcision, but faith which works by love. Boy, that is so different from what the nation of uh, the apostles and the message that they were to carry. Look at Colossians, just to make sure we we understand. And by the way, Galatians was written uh, prior to Paul going down to Jerusalem. And James saying, we hear this is what you're teaching. Well, that's what he was teaching. But look at Colossians chapter 3, verse 11. And rightfully so. It was rightfully so that he he teached that. Colossians chapter 3, verse 11. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Folks, that is the truth of this present dispensation circumcision, uncircumcision. They no longer have meaning in this present dispensation. And when you rightly divide the word of truth so you understand your Bible, and the reason I'm telling you this is because people come and go, ah, well, the Bible says you've got to do this in one place, and it says you've got to do this someplace else, or if you pray this, or you, you know, if, you're, you're, if you don't do this, well, we've got to understand the word you have to rightly divide. And we desire to trust God, to obey God. Um, salvation, that's the biggie. The biggie is salvation. What must I do to be saved? We talked about that a few weeks ago. Christ told the rich young ruler who comes to him and says, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Christ says, keep the law. I do that. Okay, sell everything you have and follow me. Uh, whoa. That's, he wasn't ready to do that. But that's what he asked. What, here was a Jew 
with a covenant relationship with God, asking what he needs to do to inherit eternal life. We know in the early part of Acts, these, the Jews in Jerusalem who had a covenant relationship with God, who were, uh, they were not outcasts, they were not alienated from God, they had that covenant relationship with God. When they heard that they had crucified Christ, they had killed the Messiah, and that Messiah was alive, and that there is, God is, is going to uh, send him back, and, and, he's going, and he tells him, you, you sit here on my right hand until I make your enemies my footstool. And when they heard all that, the possibilities of what's going to happen, what did they say? Sirs, what? What must we do? What must we do? And what does Peter say? Repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins. Repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins. Who is he talking to? He's talking to the nation of Israel. He's talking to that nation that God says, you're going to be a peculiar people. You're going to be a nation of priests. You're going to represent God to man and man to God. The whole Gentile world, you're, you're going to be my peculiar people. Christ had told them in Mark 16, 16, whosoever believes and is baptized shall be saved. Do we teach that you have to be baptized to be saved? Not water baptized, got to be spirit baptized. <laughs> well, Probably have to talk about that next week. But anyway, maybe not. Water baptism was an absolute requirement for the nation of Israel. Today, what must we do to be saved? I don't care how I don't care how many times you try to work out your salvation. There's nothing you can do to pacify or satisfy God's righteous requirements except one thing. And that's to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And what you believe is important. You believe that he died for you, was buried, and rose again. And by faith you believe the gospel. And by faith you trust Christ as your Savior. You realize that you're a sinner and he's a Savior. You realize that you need him and by faith you trust him. And when you do that, you are complete in Christ. There's absolutely nothing you need to do because you are placed into the body of Christ and you identify with everything, whether it's his baptism, his circumcision, his resurrection, his ascension, his glorification, all of those things, you identify with Christ. What a wonderful salvation. But Israel had a commandment from God. Again, why is it important that we understand, rightly divide the word of truth? So we know when it says, repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins, you know that is not talking to us for our salvation. Whosoever believes and is baptized. Folks, that is a requirement for the nation of Israel who already had a relationship with God a covenant relationship with God. But what they need to be, and what Christ told Nicodemus, is you must be born again. See, we're made new creations. We are alienated. We have no relationship with God as Gentiles. And God makes us a new creation. We go from being in Adam to being in Christ. And that's a whole other topic too. But, that's, but it's a good one. 
But look at Exodus. Chapter 19. Exodus chapter 19. We're going to we are going to finish this up today because I think you get the drift of rightly dividing and why it's important. There are some other distinctions that matter. Come to Tim's Sunday school class. You'll be getting them. But Exodus chapter 19, verse 5. Now, therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. Who's he talking to here? The nation of Israel, yeah. Talking to the Jews. And you shall, and, and ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And these are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. So they are to be a nation of priests. Uh, look at Isaiah. Sixty-one. Look at Isaiah sixty-one, verse six. Talking about the advent of the Messiah, the Messiah coming and establishing His kingdom. Verse six. But ye shall be named the priest of the Lord. Men shall call you the ministers of our God, and you shall eat the riches of the Gentiles, and in their glory shall you boast yourselves. So you kind of get the idea that Israel. They are to be the priests of God. They are to represent God to the world that he is the true Jehovah. Well, was there something, was there something that the priest had to go through in order to be a priest? Yeah. Guess what it was? A ceremonial washing. A ceremonial washing. Look at Exodus. Chapter 29, and we're going to do these quickly, because I know you're getting hungry. Exodus chapter 29, look at verse 4. And Aaron and his sons thou shalt bring unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, and shalt wash them with water. Look at Exodus 30, verse 20. Exodus 30, verse 20. When they go into the tabernacle of the congregation, they shall wash with water that they die not. Or when they come near to the altar to minister to burn offering made by fire unto the Lord. It's important that they went through that ceremonial cleansing. Look at Leviticus chapter 8. Leviticus chapter 8, verse 5. And Moses said unto the congregation, This is the thing which the Lord commanded to be done. And Moses brought Aaron and his sons and washed them with water. There was a ceremonial cleansing. One more, Numbers 8. Look at Numbers 8. Numbers 8. Verse 6, take the Levites from among the children of Israel and cleanse them. What are you going to do to cleanse them? And, thou sh and thus shalt thou do unto them to cleanse them, sprinkle water of purifying upon them. 
and let them shave all their flesh and let them wash their clothes and so make themselves clean. Thou shalt sprinkle clean water upon them. There was a ceremonial washing for the priest who were representing the nation of Israel. Ezekiel 36. Ezekiel 36. Verse 24. Ezekiel 36, verse 24. For I will take you from among the heathen and gather you out of all countries, and I will bring you into your own land. Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you, and you shall be clean. When did John the Baptist came preaching the baptism of repentance. John the Baptist came to the river Jordan. He came baptizing, preparing the way for the king, for the high priest. Everything that John the Baptist was doing was in preparation for Israel to become that nation of priests. They were going through that ceremonial cleansing. When Christ says, he who believes, please what? Talk, verse before talks about the Messiah and the kingdom. And is baptized, shall be saved. Repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins. All of that was in keeping with Israel to be that nation of priests. Water baptism was absolutely, positively required for the nation of Israel in order for them to identify with that nation of priests. But Paul comes along and he says in 1 Corinthians 1, 17, uh, Christ did not send me to baptize. What? But to preach the gospel. What? Matthew 28, Christ had told the disciples, Go ye therefore into all the world and do what? Baptizing them. Why? To be that nation of priests. There's distinctions that matter. Paul talks about in Ephesians 4, in 4, 4, the one baptism. There's one Lord. There's one faith. How many lords are there? There's one. How many faiths are there? One. How many gods are there? One. But how many baptisms are there? One. For this present dispensation. And 1 Corinthians 12, I'm trying to hurry, 1 Corinthians 12 tells us exactly what that one baptism is. It's the baptism by the Spirit into the body of Christ where you're sealed into the day of redemption. That's the baptism that's absolutely important in this present dispensation. It has nothing to do with water. It has nothing to do with identifying with Israel. You are spirit baptized into the body of Christ, and that is your identification with Christ Jesus. And, and the gospel. The gospel we preach is a totally different gospel than the apostles were told to preach. The good news that the apostles were told to preach, and folks, we had time after scripture after scripture that verifies this but the gospel that the apostles preached had to do with the coming kingdom the establishment of the kingdom and all the promises to Israel for an earthly kingdom and the meek inheriting the earth and all the parables they centered on that earthly kingdom uh, the, the gospel that Christ talks about in Matthew 24 that the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world and then shall the end come that takes place during the tribulation period. That's what the whole uh, context is there. 
The gospel we preach, the gospel that was given by special revelation to Saul of Tarsus, the chief of sinners, was what God had in plan before the foundation of the world, before the world was brought into being, what he was going to do through God the Son and through the death, burial, and resurrection in order to redeem all man to himself. What a glorious good news that is. Yeah, it's good news that Christ is going to establish his kingdom and the promises that he made to Israel are going to be fulfilled concerning an earthly kingdom. God is going to fulfill that promise. That is good news. But you can't get that good news for Israel confused with the good news that we, as members of the body of Christ, have the privilege and the joy of sharing with a lost world. And that is Jesus saves by God's amazing grace. And God is... God is God's invitation to all men as you come and believe, trust in Christ, trust in his death, burial, and resurrection. And that, doing that, God makes you a new creation in Christ. Wow, what a plan of salvation. Why anybody would say no to that kind of grace? Why? Why would anybody say, I reject that? For the life of me, I don't know. But for their life, eternal life, I hope they come to the realization that they need Christ. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning. And as we stand before you, we rejoice in that salvation we have in Christ, that eternal life that is ours in Christ. Father, we're thankful for your word and that we can study. Help us to be the Bereans you'd have us to be. Father, I pray that this is just a, an appetizer, that this is just enough to, to, to get the people desiring to get into your word and study the truth of your word and understand what it means to rightly divide so that they can really understand what you're saying to us. That, Father, we can understand those heavenly blessings that we've all been blessed with, that heavenly calling that is on our lives, that special relationship that we have with you, Father, through Christ the Son, in whom we are in. Father, we thank you for that, those truths. Father, may we never mix the Gospels. Father, we understand that there's only one saving gospel today. There's only one gospel that we're called to share. But Father, may we, be, may we recognize that there are those that mix the gospels. They bring in different things from different times. Father, and that's why it's so confusing. Father, that is why it's so frightening that they're doing other things to add to your amazing grace, to that completion we have in Christ. Father, may that not be and we love you this morning father we pray your blessings on the time of fellowship that's going to follow after father may you be glorified and we love you we thank you for that salvation in christ and it's in his name we pray amen